Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast is sponsored by Eardial, the invisible earplug specially designed for live music. If you go to concerts or festivals, you need to protect your hearing. The sound level at most music venues can cause ringing in your ears and hearing loss. With Eardial, you will still hear the music at full fidelity, but at a safe level. They're very discreet and no one will realise you're wearing them. With the app included, you can know the sound level around you and how long you can stay safely at that level. With their compact case, you can have them in your keychain at all times with you. And from now until the end of September 2019, Guitar Nerds listeners can receive a 20% discount on all ear dial earplugs. Just follow the link in the description of this podcast episode or visit eardial.com forward slash guitar nerds. This week's episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast is sponsored by Orange Amplifiers and their Tremlord 30 guitar app. A very orange take on a classic, cool 1950s amplifier. It's a 30-watt 112 all-valve guitar combo with two foot-switchable valve-driven tremolo speeds and two-spring reverb tank. Everything you need to deliver high-quality, vintage-inspired, boutique-esque tones in the near-indestructible chassis of an orange amplifier. Harking back to tremolos made famous in the 50s, the 12AX7 valve-powered tremolo oozes versatility and depth. With crystal clear clarity and buckets of headroom, the Orange Tremolo 30 is the latest in Orange's run of meticulously designed pin-drop perfect amplifiers. Visit orangeamps.com forward slash tremlord for a detailed overview, sound samples and links to dealers worldwide. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast, the 233rd episode of the Guitar Nerds Podcast. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello there. And Blake Wyland. Yeah, that's right. We've got Blake from the Tone Mob and Chasing Tone. That's right. It's a whole new lineup of Guitar Nerds podcast for podcast us tonight intercept inception i was gonna say interception but more like oh, an no. inception no yes it's podcast, podcast, within a podcast that's right we've got no more j cross j cross is in in america what? how do these guys get He's holiday in america? How come I-, I don't have any holiday yeah, uh, yeah. Jay Cross is taking some holiday, and he's uh, he's gone with his his girlfriend Maddie to uh, I imagine Philadelphia. I think that's where she's from. She's always she's always telling me to support the Philadelphia Phillies when I've started to try and get into baseball recently. So I assume they're in Philadelphia. 
Um, but yeah, they're there, and uh, Mark Packham's taking a month off. So you know, it's uh, he's it's, taking uh, a month off. Here that's, I, that's, I, I'm just trying to figure out a day off, and he's taking yeah, a month yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yep. Mark um, Mark needs you know his 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 rest. He needs to recharge his batteries. He needs to think of new ideas. And every now and again, he likes to quit the podcast for a for a brief period of time. <laughs> it, it, he thinks it makes it more exciting when he comes back. You know, it's like a Right, daytime television. When someone dies and then they come back as their twin, I think it's 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 uh, it's kind of that sort of thing. For <laughs> yes, we, we are. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, unfortunately, we are month. Uh, we are markless for a month. But absolutely wonderful that we've got you on, Blake, because it's the first time we've had you on a regular uh, episode of the Guitarnos podcast. And um, yes, and as the most probably the most knowledgeable. Per- knowledgeable person in all of guitar podcasting that is uh is is wonderful to have you here that is not true um <laughs> and if it is everyone should be terrified because no, no. i am just flying by the seat of my pants over here so no, no. there we go well okay fine certainly the first person to do guitar podcasting we'll, we'll, uh, we'll grant you that uh mantle um, I don't think anyway. I get that one either. I th- really? Don't you? <laughs> no. Oh, def- you definitely do. No, you, you do. guys were doing it before I did. Really? I did. Oh, yeah. Sure. You guys beat me by a couple years. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure you were the first podcast I was listening to. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I didn't listen to podcasts when I started. I was, I was, I was drinking. Anyway, we should, uh, we should delve straight into guitar stuff. Let's this is it. something I'm trying to do. You know, I'm trying to bring down sort of the intro time. I'm aware that new listeners would get put off if we talk about sort of guff for too long at the start of a podcast. But then Jay always tries to sort of waylay the podcast and make me talk about guff for longer because he likes the idea that less people would listen um, i think he, he likes the idea of of sort of you know putting us out of business so but anyway we should uh, we should talk about guitar stuff so i was thinking as we've got you on the podcast uh this week blake and you are you're a massive fan of kind of 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 pedals and amps and analog stuff you're very much in that camp you have put your feet firmly in the camp of of real effects and real amps and valve stuff and that that sort of area. Whereas I have been, uh, recently, uh, I have been seduced by the sort of digital world uh, since I got a Line 6 Helix and I was like, hey, I can have all these cool things that I used to, you know, have cable issues with live and things would break. Now I can have all these things in a really safe space in one pedal board and, you know, where I would have to buy a new pedal every week, I now can just wait for the next update and get 10 for free. So I've been <laughs> sort of seduced by that, like, digital thing with the Line 6 Helix, which is certainly, if nothing else, the most prolific of all the multi-effects things. They release the most new updates of, of any of the brands. Um, and then we've got Matt, who uh, who is kind of straddling both of these areas. So Matt, Works for Boss, obviously, the ultimate stomp box company, um, who also, you know, have the the GT1000, of course, and the MS3, you know, amongst other things, which are, of course, digital multi-effects units. So he's kind of, he's in both both camps. He's sort of straddling two horses, as it as it as it were. <laughs> it's very talented. Well, what's <clears throat> What's interesting. Um, with that, with the the Boss thing, is if you look at obviously we make a little bit of everything. And if you look at compacts, what's interesting is the last analog we com- analog compact we did up until JB2. 
Jeez. I was going to say, surely was, the, the M- M- MD2 was the last analog pedal for Wait, what's the MD2? The Mega Distortion. Oh, okay. um, that I think that was the yeah the last analog pedal we made in the compact line for like eight years, nine years maybe, until the JB2 really? came rocking around. Yeah, wow. really. But you've got well, like, actually, the, I say actually, I say that the CE2 maybe. Yeah, the CE2, the Dimension Chorus, the 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 DM2W. Yeah, but the DM2 came. Hmm, yeah, I'm thinking of analog. Actually, maybe I'm thinking of analog drive circuits. But then right, again, CE are. CE2 was the only wild pedal for a while. BD2W and SD1W, but we already made those, so it wasn't really well. We made a version of the circuit, but the JB2 was the first new analog so, circuit we've done for some time because all the other standard compact range, so not Waza, obviously, um, was all digital. So a lot of the drives and everything. Well, that's all that's digital. interesting. I mean, if if you're if you're saying this, if your argument is that Boss is moving more digital, I would say that the Wazacraft is is probably, no. I'm just saying that we probably just, your best selling stuff at the moment. I no, I'm just saying it's interesting how we're. Yeah, we are really between both because compacts are moving towards a more analog feel. Um, if you obviously, if you take the Waza things, but then obviously the standard compact lines, we can really sort of promote the sort of digital side of things. Sy One is a great example of oh, what we true. can do in time in terms of a digital engine. And there's certainly more on the Sy One than than I think there have been. Well, than there have been on any sort of synthesizer pedals before. Yeah, I imagine trying to build that analog. Be amazing, oh, yeah. <laughs> also ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but okay. So, so the reason was, and to bring sort of Blake into this is, you know, wh- why, why so reluctant then, Blake, for the digital world, or what, what, uh, what keeps you so very firmly in the camp of the of the analog pedal world? So, admittedly, I am I am an anomaly. So. I, and, and and also I should kind of clarify some of this. Like some of my favorite pedals that I own and some of the things that I'm like jonesing for are fully digital. Like I love I love digital effects and their uses. You know, like one of my favorite pedals, for example, is the hologram electronics dream sequence. Yeah. That's totally digital. Uh and and so I, I have a lot most of in fact I'd almost say like it's probably fifty fifty. But what makes me so reluctant to to go like the helix route or or anything is simply my my circumstances i don't have to so why would i uh i have i have this room out here uh that you know i put a lot of time into making and making it as as uh sound isolated as i could afford to so it's not soundproof that's a bit of a misnomer but we can that's not really the point of this conversation (laughs) uh but you know i'm i made this so i could turn amps up and so I'm gonna turn amps up. And a Helix, I've played them. I've played. I've played all of them except the Axe Effects at this point. Right. And I think they're fantastic tools. And if I was a touring musician, I would almost certainly be utilizing some of that stuff. But because I don't have to, they're they're boring to me. Like I do not care. Like so, I, I recognize that I'm in a very unique situation. This is like I, I I see that they're an amazing feat of engineering. They work fantastic. F- they do exactly what they're supposed to do, and they do it a, a really good job of it. But I can't be bothered to to really care because I don't need it. I, right, I, I have right. no use for it. Well, so that's that's that's, that's, that's such am. an that's such an interesting kind of way round to look at it because of course because I guess you know the the whole idea of these and and 
I think one of the biggest reasons that people move on to digital pedals, it may be something that's going to come back later as it did you know, back in the 80s when everyone went to rat gear, is I think people think of convenience before they think of sound. And I, uh, and, and I kind of think that the argument for Helix and GT1000 and XFX and Kemper is the convenience. So <laughs> you're kind of saying obviously the opposite because you have this particular space. But, uh, you know, of course, the advantage to these digital effects is, hey, if you want all of a sudden to use a, uh, well, if you want a boss dimension chorus um, in your board, rather than having to find the space and uh, make sure you've got the correct amount of milliampage off of your power supply and, and make sure that your uh, that your patch cables are in good order, you can simply select um, a a boss dimension chorus from the drop down menu, and then there it is. That that's kind of the thing, isn't it? It's, it's convenience. But I guess what what you're saying is uh, it's the opposite of you, but o- opposite for you, but only because of your situation. Yeah, it's just, if I was if I was in a normal situation, like most guys out. Like I said, touring is the biggest example I can see the best use case for these things. Like, of course, you're flying around or you're crammed in a van or something you can get really really good sounds with that stuff so do you think it sounds as good or do you do you think in your opinion do you think that they have managed to emulate these things to a high enough standard so i still i still feel the same way about this as as i have for years it's if you sat me down with a recording and one was recorded in a great studio with all the best analog everything and one was recorded on a helix and they were they were they were dialing up similar sounds if you just gave me a pair of headphones i don't know that i would be able to tell the difference but when i'm playing it oh yeah you can definitely tell yeah. the difference in the that feel. is exactly that's exactly what what brian wampler said on the on the friday special last week essentially and i think is something that i'm becoming more and more aware of as i uh, as i become more digitally orient orientated you know was was simply that i absolutely as as a recording solution and when i was doing the barcodes podcast series and i was getting pedal sent and i could just I could plug those pedals into the effects return and run them through whatever amp, you you know, with anything, with sort of, you know, any EQ editing or or compressors or anything else I needed in the chain to make that sound right. It was so convenient and record directly um, onto my door. It was fantastic and I think it was a great way to demo pedals. And certainly I've really enjoyed building the boards to play to play live with my band with the with the Helix stuff. But I I will completely agree that there is something there is something still unobtainably <laughs> that you can't, that I can't put my finger on. Do you about, know what it is about? Uh, yeah. So the, the the thing for me is um, with with stuff like Helix, I've or, or, or Kemper, for example. You know, someone always said someone said to me, you know, Kemper is a great recorded guitar sound. The one thing I can never get past, and you know, I programmed a bunch of patches for GT1000. I love GT1000, but I can never get over the sound of hearing it through monitors, and I always want to hear right. it through an amp because I want to feel 
the push and pull under my fingers. And that's why I like like things like Katana. If I'm going to use something with a load of effects and I'm going to sit there and noodle about. Or even like I have a little microcube under my desk, an old microcube. I love using that because I actually get the feel of a real amp and some like guitar speakers rather than monitors and everything just coming from the unit. You, you do lose a little bit of depth in some way. Um, yeah. Until you start using things like powered cabs or you run it into like a power amp like a Seymour Duncan, um, what is it, the 700, you know, they're sort of like solid state power amp. That starts to make a difference. Um, but I think I, I'm almost in the same camp as Blake really is. I just, I don't play in a band. Like if I was playing in a band and I wanted convenience, then I would see something like an MS3 as a really good option. But Whoa, well, I, I could count the MS3 outside of this. The MS3 is... It, like there's no modeling on the ms3 and i think that, no, that's, that's true it. but then again i've seen a lot of people run an ms3 and then use the midi from the ms3 into like an hx stomp do you know what i mean i can see like doing something like that as a portable fly rig or you know even just for, for band practice but because i never take anything out home i can just build the most ridiculous thing i want and i can just use whatever i want you know and i think that's why yeah. i never you know and i've you know i had gt1000 here for months and i'm just like i keep using my pedal board because I just use a switcher and MIDI and it pretty much does everything for me. Yeah, it's definitely a certain type of person. I think there's a reason that the metal scene have embraced it so well because I think, generally speaking, the the sort of modern metal scene tend to be um, more... uh, Not in a... More geeky, more more techy. I tell you what was interesting, right? Um, so I don't know if uh, either of you have you seen recently this one random guy with a pretty small YouTube channel ended up doing a rig rundown with um, Jim Root from Slipknot, and um, I think he just messaged <laughs> him on Instagram. Yeah, he just mentioned messaged him on Instagram, and Jim Root just went, "Hey, come and do like a rig rundown sort of thing," because I think he reviewed one of his guitars. And he's running through his rig and he's like, you know what? Every album I was changing the rig, I was doing all of this. I was like tone chasing basically, you know, and I've got like a couple of hundred guitars and like a hundred amps. And then he he was like, but then I realized, you know, I just suddenly thought I'm playing downtuned metal, which through amps that are being mic'd up and then fed through a desk and then pumped out through a PA. He's like, all it needs to do is sound good in my in-ears. He's like, that's all I want. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you can go down this complex route. And he's like, we've got a Kemper. And it's like, you know, we might have that, you know, backstage for warming up. And he's like, I want to feel a real amp. But at the end of the day, there's not much point in like going massively down this kind of route of all this digital stuff. Because at the end of the day, it it doesn't really make a difference. We're just playing down to metal. And I think, yeah. And I think that's why you say like some of these sort of modern metal guys, you know, there's a couple of sounds they want. And actually, I was going to say, you know, they obviously do have dynamics in their sound, but the sound they have, you know, if you listen to someone like Meshuggah, is this brutal wall of sound, you know, or if you listen to guys True. like Pliny and the sound they have, you know, is very almost clean. It sort of sits in these barriers, I almost find. Well, I would say ne- you know, neither of those bands it- are dynamic, you know, not not in comparison to to sort of a, to someone playing sort of blues or... Um, you yeah. know, or, or prog or anything like that, where you might use effects change, you know, to, to your advantage. You know, mm. so the modern modern metal isn't dynamic; it is one sound. It's it's funny that those genres are sort of aiming for the digital stuff more, I guess. 
Well, and it was interesting. This is a really interesting path that we've continued down because I posed this question uh, from it was from my Facebook group, but I asked Nick Reinhardt the the similar line of questioning. Because uh, of course he doesn't use a switcher, I've, which I've always thought weird. And it's it's all down to basically without spoiling it, you can go check it out if you want. But it he basically said it's just not how he likes to work. Like he he's played the Helix, he had nothing but good things to say about it. But he's just like, there's just I like to look down and see a whole bunch of pedals. And at the end of the day, if that's if that's what you like and it makes you more inspired to create that way, I think that's the right answer. Same with the Helix. I'm also yeah. much more of a jerk on the internet about the Helix than I actually feel. I'm always like, boo, 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 boo on Helix, gross, in the forums and stuff. But <laughs> I don't actually, I'm not that, I don't feel that strongly about it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> no, I guess, yeah, um, yeah it's, a, it's a weird one because, yeah, I just, like I said, I just, same as you, but no need for it. You know, any multi-effects, really, you know. And guys like Nick Reinhardt have basically built a pedal board and then learnt to play. What they've done is learnt how to use the pedal as an extension of an instrument and kind of really pushed it to its limits. So you're learning how to play the pedal board like an instrument, basically. Sure. If you watch him play and Harry taps around on things, that's, you know, that's really what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, true. That that said, I've seen Terra Melos three times, and and twice out of the three times, his pedal board is broken at some point, and he's he's, <laughs> he's had to be sort of on his knees trying to trying I mean, to trying to troubleshoot an, a pedal board with no switcher, which is very difficult. Yeah, I yes, think uh, what was funny is when the last time I saw him, he literally built his pedal board uh, on a piece of wood that was the exact dimensions of his suitcase, his uh, suitcase, and then. Um, basically just put his clothes on top and that's how he was on tour i was like brilliant <laughs> <laughs> lovely guy yeah, that, I, I love mean, nick yeah I, I, I love him too, but he is he is completely ridiculous so this this kind of segues quite nicely into a couple of polls that i put out on the guitar nerds facebook forum um facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitar nerds forum um where i asked i asked people two questions i, I first asked everyone on the group um uh, what their preferred switcher or multi effects is, or if uh, they don't use one at all. Um, so, you know, I gave them the options of of all the Helix family, um, the Boss MS3, the uh, the Boss ES series, uh, other stuff, you know, which, and I actually separated out Gig Rig, but I realized other stuff can be sort of Head Rush, the more one gig rig like it's sort of anything all those other things and and of course no switcher was uh was an option and um and it kind of panned out i guess sort of how i expected it to um more people said and and, and it's kind of a substantial a third more people than any other category said they don't use any switcher at all Disgusting. the next well yeah i know i agree the next one up was the line six helix family which we kind of expect i think it's the most developed and the most price accessible out of all the switches and you know it sort of it's been around longer than the gt1000 it's cheaper than axe effects you know it's cheaper than kemper so it's it's obviously it's, same price it's going as kemper, to... no i guess well, it depends he... what kemper you go for well the helix lt is about 750 pounds and i don't yeah. know what it is in the uh, us yeah, break, but it's, it's uh... so ugly though no one likes the LT. <laughs> everyone, buy, every, every, everyone buys the uh, the full one. 
surely right. no sure. one no. might get the LT. No, 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 no. Lots of people get the LT and lots Everyone of people gets get the, the stomp. Oh. The stomp, so that's the one. Yeah, the stomp The stomp is... is actually the one. The stomp is the is the one that's firing on all cylinders at the moment. Anyway, so no switcher first. Line 6 Helix came in second. Of course, the others came in third because that was a big load of people saying, oh, I've made a switcher myself. Oh, I use... Headrush or etc. The MS3 seeded above the ESA, which I thought was an in- interesting sign of the times, um, because I think when the ES8 came out, everyone with a big pedal board was getting one. But the the MS3 for me still uh, offers, you know, pretty close to the same flexibility because some of those inbuilt effects are so damn good, and then it just allows you to have a, a, a sort of smaller pedal board. But I thought it was interesting that no switcher came out top in that so i put out a second poll specifically for the people who had answered that they don't use a switcher because i wanted to know why i wanted to know whether it was uh um uh whether it was that they didn't want to spend their money on something that switches between pedals when you you can do that with your pedals (laughs) you know (laughs) anyway um whether it was because and i suspected it was because people just play at home I expected a lot of people on the Guitar Nerds forum and a lot of guitar players just play at home. So why would they want a switcher? Um, and then I, I included other things like what Nick Reinhardt said on your podcast where, you know, he he likes he likes the tap dancing. He thinks it's a more organic experience. Um, but funnily enough, the, the number one reason, the, the thing that most people said, that the reason they don't use a switcher or multi-effects is because they are too expensive. Um and <laughs> and and secondly, see, the second place was uh, that they don't use enough pedals to warrant it. Um, which that makes of sense. course yeah. that makes sense, and that was kind of the one I expected to come out number one. I was really surprised that um, switches being too expensive came out above that. Uh, but I guess you know because of course you can you can pick up a Moore switcher for about a hundred quid. But yeah, I mean, how much is an ES8 these days, Matt Knight? Good question. Joe Branson. <laughs> wow, you. I mean, well, wow. I, I, I worked at RRP, obviously, um, so that would throw most people off. And I worked to Euros in my day job. Right. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, that's fine. So it's fine. Five hundred twelve. Five hundred and twelve pounds currently from right. all good music retailers based in right. the UK. Right. Um, okay. It's way go. heavier than I would have thought it was. <laughs> oh, yeah it, it, it does it weighs a, it weighs a lot that is, yeah, wow. is more, you, got, you guys should really work on that i don't I know, know i know yeah. it's more than more than big fan vader that is uh, that is a lot yeah a big weight i'll tell you <laughs> the, the one thing that the, the um the one thing that gets me is um yeah i like tap dancing i think it's more organic for creating sounds I have uh, I rebuilt my pedal board after Summer Nam properly because I got a couple of Chase Bliss pedals which you talked about and kind of really thought about what I was doing with my ES8 because I tend to rebuild my pedal board like every year anyway and I tend to factory reset the ES8 and, and start again from scratch and having so many MIDI equipped pedals on my board now um, well the Chase Bliss stuff which does a lot and yeah, the Eventide H9, and then obviously the ESA also sending out analog control switches for for turning things on and off. I found it basically it's like building your own multi effects unit because things like the ESA allow you to have the foot switches momentary or latching. So, for example, on some patches, I've set it so you know the foot switch acts as the you know up pushing down a pedal like a whammy, or it momentarily brings in like a shimmer reverb, but because you've got 
you can add trails to the ES8 in terms of the loops. You can have a momentary um, shimmer reverb, and then when you take your foot off, it just decays naturally. It doesn't just yeah. cut off like most loopers. And I actually think you can start to use a looper like the brain of a, of a multi-effect, except it's not got everything built into it. You're putting what you want into it, and then you can really start to unlock stuff out of the gear that you wouldn't get before. I completely, I completely agree. I think the sort of argument for um, for it being more organic is simply that what you're describing still requires a massive amount of pre-planning. However, if I'm in the middle of a band practice writing something and I suddenly think, you know what, this section requires all my drive pedals to be on and uh, my delay pedal to be sort of maxed out and and oscillating. Unless I've set up those pedals to work together on the ESA already, I can't do that whilst writing. I've got to sit down and sort that. I've got to ask the band to hold on, hold on a minute, guys. I'm just got. I'm just gonna sort of mess around with my ESA like a nerd in a bedroom. Actually, or uh, if I just had pedals, I, I would just, I'd just turn them all on. This week's episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast is sponsored by Celestian and their brand new Ruby Alnico guitar speaker, purpose built to create rich, beautiful vintage tones to Ruby oozes a richly musical warmth with mellow highs and a smooth, sophisticated mid-range that always seems to sound just right. The classic Alnico speaker shape and lush, deep red colour ensures Ruby really looks the part in your cab and guarantees that no one could possibly mistake this remarkable new guitar speaker's family history. Check out Celestian's new Ruby at retailers including Lean Business in the UK, Tube Amp Doctor in Germany, Algam in France, Eco Music in Italy, Ebeloud in Spain, plus Gear for Music, Toman and The Back Shop. And in the USA you can buy through retailers like Sweetwater, Musicians Friends, AMS, Pass Express, Loudspeakers Plus and of course Amazon. And for more details, check out Celestian.com. But the ES8's got manual mode, so you just go to manual mode, turn the pedals on that you want, hold down the memory button, saves it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent, an excellent argument for it. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, admittedly, you know, I know not everyone's going to use a switcher, and I wish it's one of those things that you know, working on the other side of the industry, and you know, working for a brand that you know, my job is to is to push these products and inform people about these products and be a brand ambassador, as it were, and you know, market them to the big wide world. You'll never you, you be do, that. You do have to think about. Um, how people are going to demo them in stores. And Switch is just one of those things that you're not going to go into the store and go, yeah, can I try an ES8 with eight pedals, please? And can you show me how it hooks up yeah, via MIDI? You know, so you kind of have to know and do your research and get it home and kind of experiment with it. And it can be a frustrating process. And actually getting into MIDI can be a very, very frustrating process for the, for the first time. I mean, I, I still um, don't understand how it works at, at all. But I think ultimately um, that's, that's the problem with Helix. What, what do you mean? That's the problem with Helix. That it's it's that it's the, always that the, the learning curve, curve is really sharp. Yeah, oh, it's really sharp. It's a really sharp learning curve. Um, with with all of the with all of the uh, multi effects like that, I think yeah. There's yeah. You you are going to definitely want to sell it. Like listeners, if you're going to buy one, you're going to want to sell it after the first two weeks, maybe three, <laughs> maybe four, and then eventually you will have a breakthrough. Um, that that's 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 just how it how it will be. Blake, do you use a switcher of any form? 
Well, you guys know already know the answer to this. Yes, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't. I don't even have a a pedal board. Like that's that's just. I, I'm playing with. I'm playing my pedals with my fingers most of the time. Actually, I ninety nine percent of the time I have my my pedals up at like you know just right above waist height, and I'm and I'm playing them on a table. So it's. Again, my unique, weird situation that I found myself in. Wait, wait. What are you playing them with at waist height if you're using both your hands on your guitar? Because that's not appropriate. Um, I guess I should make a video about that sometimes. <laughs> I I do a lot of manual manipulation of, of the effects. Uh, you know, not everything has expression control, and sometimes I wish it did. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm constantly turning knobs and adjusting settings while while I'm playing. It's kind of become a weird part of, like how i play it's like i'll hold you know it's like oh this part's coming up and i have to let that note drone so i can turn this knob right now and so (laughs) it's a weird kind of kind of dance i'm doing do you think do you think a switch would ever be anything you'd integrate or do you think it's totally against the way you play no not at all i think they're awesome uh in fact matt probably remembers i when the es8 first came out i was obsessed with the idea of having one uh, and I, I remember talking to Matt about it a bunch and, and talking to some other people. And then my good friend Leon, uh, from Pelican Noiseworks, he got one and he got a really amazing pedal board set up with like all the chase bliss stuff. And he had this space station at his feet and he brought it to band practice. And I was like, I played with it for a little bit and I was like, Oh, this is, this isn't, this doesn't jive. This is like more than I need to deal with right now. And I, my, it kind of it was one of the rare occasions where actually trying something fizzled me out a little bit, but then, but then it's not because there's anything wrong with the product. It has, it just, it was a steep, steep learning curve and I wasn't ready for it. But, uh, some of the stuff still fascinates me about the ESA in particular, the way you can switch the routing around is amazing to me. And, uh, just, I, I feel like I'm missing out on new sounds by not having one. So I probably will get one in in a little Probably. bit. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That's the, I think the the routing switching. That's something that you always go on about, Matt, as well as being a, a sort of a huge advantage to you for when you use the ESA. It's not something I've ever used on the MS3. I actually, I guess I can do it on the MS3. Can I do it on the MS3, Matt? Uh, yes, you can. The MS3 will allow you allow you to. You can. The only thing you can move everything around apart from the analog loops basically um because oh, wait 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 ah so i can't i if if i set if i set l1 my first loop as my yes. drive for example yes. and l2 as my delay i couldn't ever run l2 before l1 no because they are fixed right, because you it can runs- do that on the esa you can do that on the esa yeah you can move uh, the esa obviously allows you to move any effects block um, because each the, because MS3 obviously has to have an analog to digital converter, so it has to take your analog guitar sound oh, to course. digital and then back out oh. to analog, and it would have to do that for so every single to, loop. So it'd have to have right. So it has five, to treat all of the loops as one thing, as one block. Yeah. So back into yeah, analog yeah, and right. then back back into digital and then back out to analog. Where the ES8 doesn't have any. It's just analog and it's just switching in. Because of course loops. it's not dealing with any internal digital pedals, so it's fine. Yeah, but the, the, you know the nice thing is, is adding things like carryover, for example, 
you know, is always a good um, a good thing to have on analog loops because obviously if you've got delay trails, you want to have that from patch to patch, for example. Um, yeah. Or, you know, you can... One thing I found quite handy is if you've got a delay pedal, for example, like a Chase Bliss one that's got MIDI bypass, you can actually leave the loop on and then... Um, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Just bypass the effect via MIDI and then still move it around the chain. So you could have, you know, repeats um, being modulated by a delay, but then put it after the uh, after the chorus, sorry, and then, you know, move it around for the next patch. So that's always a nice thing. So, if, yeah, if you go down the ES8 route, having analog pedals in there means you can change the order and you can start to do some even wackier stuff and actually that what that's best for drive pedals working out different combinations of drive sounds you know what works yeah, bet, well into actually. what or what what allows you to change what and and stuff like that you know that's always really good and but then again you know if es 8s too much that's why i think es 5s a really good option you know just five loops i mean and it's just it's just mono at the I- end of the day and it's not a lot of money either. It's like the, probably the most affordable switcher available. Yeah, it's I mean, it's like a Moore switcher. There's, I mean, there's so <laughs> there's so many out there now, and there's so many great units. I mean, I think Disaster Area Designs are doing a bunch of really good stuff. Um, RJM seem to be sort of coming into it, doing a lot of stuff as well. Um, I mean, I wanted an ES8 since the day I got told about it before it was coming out at NAM, like. 2015 i think you know um and i remember like <laughs> seeing seeing the um so if i think for that nam show they got thomas nordeg who's the um guitar tech for steve vi and he was the guitar tech for frank zappa built steve vi's pedal board using the es8 on a non-working prototype and then that was the display at nam and i remember just looking at that going oh this is amazing i can't wait and um i, I i've sort of always been no, with you it, couldn't actually f- use it yeah, but for years before that, I've really wanted a um, you know a gig rig, and I've been lucky enough to to know um, you know Dan Steinhardt, the gig rig, and I think the product that he makes there is also an incredible product. I think really where the ES8 stands out for me is once you start going down that realm of MIDI and doing stuff via MIDI, it does get 
really unlimited. Like you can really start to really open up the flexibility of, of some pedals, especially stuff like Chase Bliss pedals, you know, and doing some things. That I you really feel like I need to work out otherwise. what MIDI is um, because I, I kind of feel like that, that that is a whole route that I have no idea about. I know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not really as complicated as as perhaps Joe and I make it in our heads cuz I, I once it's been like every time I've seen it broken down and explained, you know, at a dummy level like I require, it's like, "Oh, I I think I could handle that." It's it's really just a time. I think it's just taking the time and learning it. That's all it is. It's not really like this impossible impossibly uh, confusing thing like I make it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly hope so. One, one day, one day, I'm sure I will sit down and and actually spend some time I, on it. If only you had I somebody really that could just... guide you. <laughs> yeah, if only. Um, really, I should just demo my, some of the sounds I've got on my pedal board at some point on Facebook or something. Because I think, yeah, once you start thinking about it creatively, you know, I think one of the th- early things I did when I was really messing around with it is obviously ES8's got. Uh, expression output which is analog you could just go stereo cable out into a pedal and it's got um the es8 has got internal waveforms and that will transmit over the analog expression out so you can use a button as a trigger for example to trigger a waveform that will send over analog expression so one thing i did was i was like right okay i'm going to plug it into the rate control of my DM2W, but you can set okay. the expression width, as it were, from 0 to 127. So I said, I'm going to do 0 to 10. So that was moving the delay time from like 10 milliseconds to 30 milliseconds. And then send that out via the ES8. And I was like, I've basically made like a chorus pedal because a chorus pedal is just a fluctuating, you know, delay time effectively. Right. And I was like, so right. you can start to do really weird stuff like, you know, rapidly changing analog delay times and i think you know once you go into that sort of realm um you realize you probably can't do it in a gig situation and that's why you have an es8 when you play at home (laughs) (laughs) that that makes perfect sense now boys we are we are you like two-thirds easily into this podcast and we haven't spoken about single guitar yeah, we we've only spoken about effects and I'm I'm Shocking. aware that that is absolutely <laughs> yeah, no, that's terrible and also not a lot of people's bags. So we should really we should remedy that. Um let's let's do that by diving headfirst into a big bag of news. News. So first up on the news, actually, before we even deal with any news items, um, and this, uh, Blake, I apologise for this, but this is just for people in the UK currently. Now, we know we're something like two weeks away from the UK Guitar Show in London. If you want to go to the UK Guitar Show, we're going to be there. We're going to be hanging out. I'm going to be drunk. I'm planning on drinking a (laughs) bottle of gin before I get there. So if you want to see a man falling on £4,000 guitars... Uh, for a few hours, then uh, you can actually do that for cheaper than uh, you could if you weren't listening to this podcast uh, because you can get 20% off um, with with Guitar Nerd. So if you just go to the theukguitarshow.com uh, um, and you use the code GUITARNERDS20, then you can get 20% off. Come down. We're going to be there. I really want someone to hang out with because currently it's just me and Mark Packham going. And actually, Matt, are you going? Yes, I'll be there on the yeah, Sunday. 
But you're just going. You're going with boss, right? No, no, no. I'm just going on my own accord. Oh, you're just going. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, why didn't you tell? Why didn't you tell me and Matt you were going? Me and Mark. Where? That's that's why do you when? think, Joe? Why do you think he didn't I, tell you? I mean, you? I've, I've, is, I've been now what, that's going... Blake, that is really weird, Blake, that, that he's done that to, to, to us. It's, so, it's really Yeah, I, I mean, can't believe he would do that. I mean, I booked yeah. my tickets, like, last week, but I've been known that I've been going for, like, since last year when I went by oh, okay. myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm sorry about last year. I, 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 I drank a lot the night before. I woke up late. I, I was too hungover to get on the yeah, train. So, yeah, I, I yeah, do apologise. Yeah. Yeah, Joe. <laughs> But anyway, if you'd have told me, Matt, I could have got you 20% off. But that's right, listeners, you can get 20% off uh, by using the code GuitarNerds20 on UKGuitarShow.com. Speaking of 20% off, um, you'll actually, uh, you know, if you're not a Patreon, uh, then you will have already heard at the start of this episode, we're doing uh, 20% off of, uh, you can get 20% off of ear dial earplugs with Guitar Nerds as well by going to eardial.com forward slash guitar nerds. They're really good earplugs, which is kind of why we approached them to do a deal. They're really cool, and then they're pretty affordable. And uh, and yeah, if you if you fancy looking after your hearing, bear in mind those earplugs come with a free app that that kind of does like noise levels in a room. I kind of thought that was a really cool thing. Anyway, well, enough about you know sort of discounts that you get for listening to the Guitar Nerds podcast. Um, Matt Knight, let's talk about uh, let's talk about these uh, real NOS new old stock Fenders. Something that you definitely would want a discount on um, if you're as poor as me. Um, so yeah, don't get any discounts <laughs> through guitar nerds on these. I'm sorry, listener. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we've got Fender Original, and then you know you've got the you kind of the elites, and then you go up to Custom Shop, and then you're like, oh, if you've got the big bucks, you know, you can go down to Master Built. Or how about the Fender Certified Vintage? range um this isn't really a range these are real guitars from fender uh that are effectively i I would guess in a way sort of museum quality um guitars that fender have physically owned at some point opened up their vaults cleaned maintained these instruments through their master builders and are now offering them up for sale via reverb um so the fender vintage certified reverb shop um so there's five guitars ranging from some 50s ones there's a really nice 54 strat it's just strat casters right it's just strats that they put up at the moment but what's uh, interesting is that some of these guitars were templates or served as templates for the american original and the ventera offerings uh, which i think oh, is very cool they come with an initial um, inspection and set up from a custom shop master builder a two-year warranty custom shop warranty service hand filled inspection seat certified vintage certificate of authenticity and a factory uh, and factory case candy in the original cases and if you live in the u.s owning the oh i was gonna say if you live if you live in the u.s they'll also hand deliver it um oh oh, there you go blake oh right but um (laughs) only they unfortunately aren't (laughs) listening sorry go on i was gonna say there's there's a problem though they're all strats are you not a strat fan blake that's that's, that's, it is they're just kind of boring I, I wouldn't be surprised oh. if they put some others up to see how these goes. I mean, as of um, us recording this podcast, so uh, Monday the what is it the eleventh, ninth, ninth, Monday the ninth, um, they haven't actually 
unless they've sold out already, although I watched the video half an hour after it went live, they aren't even in the shop yet. Um, but, I mean, if I was rich enough, I would definitely buy all five. Well, this is surely, this is like the ultimate custom shop of custom shops. This is an actual vintage Fender, but in custom shop new quality owned by Fender. This is like the ultimate Stratocaster of Stratocasters, surely. Yes, it's it's a cool concept. I didn't know they were doing that. I thought, you know, as much as I'm poking fun at strats, I don't actually hate them that much, but... uh, that I think that just the fact that they were able to pull this off is incredible. Like, I, I mean, I know these are going to be a billion dollars and out of, out of the range of any, probably most people listen to this podcast, but uh, it's just a cool thing. It's just a really interesting, cool thing that, that Fender have done with them, in, in my opinion. Yeah, my, yeah my, 100%. My only thing is, I guess these guitars are built to... Well, these guitars are now collectors items and as such will probably be bought by collectors who maybe will play them very lightly they aren't quite i guess they're not gigging guitars as it were i mean they could be (laughs) they totally could be but i think the people that buy them and you know maybe even if i could afford it i would probably do the same and i kind of feel at that point and i've played i've been lucky enough to play some vintage guitars that have been in amazing condition and they almost feel like they've got no character because they've just never been played in and well, the vintage interesting but the, the vintage guitars that i've played that have been played in feel like they've you know they've got stories and you kind of want to play them because they've been worn in but a guitar that's i mean a guitar a car that's 60 60 years old that's barely run is still going to run but you're probably not going to want to i mean my dad owns a 1934 rover um and he doesn't take it out anywhere where it might get a single drop of water on it you know because it's a collector's <laughs> piece um and i kind of feel that maybe that would be the same with these i partly hope not i hope that people do go out and play them but i think in that sort of condition and the money that you'll probably end up paying um you could probably buy another used one from the same era for half the money and maybe even take it out for a (laughs) gig. Any idea what price these are going to go for? Well, it was interesting um, because while I was saying that, I remembered that um, a few days ago, I always check secondhand listings on stores because I like to see what's out there. And one of the best stores actually at the moment I found has got a really great selection of pre-owned stuff. Um is Guitar Village, which is a little store in Farnham in the UK, just outside of Guildford. And when I checked, they had some rather interesting strats. They've actually got two 62 strats at the moment, one in uh, Seafoam Green and one in Fiesta Red. Uh, The Fiesta Red is in very good condition, you know, light wear, uh, Brazilian rosewood board, and it's £12,000. But the Seafoam Green is in slightly less good condition. It's gone a bit brown. Um, and that was £9,000. Uh, and then they also have a Candy Apple Red 62, which is up for £9,999. Oh, so I think, if these, I think if these are in really good condition and they come certified... Oh, bizarrely enough, they've also got another seafoam green 62 strat some guy must just collect 62 strats um <laughs> which is up at eleven thousand, but it's in slightly better condition so i would imagine yeah with these fender ones certified master built inspected that instantly adds value i would have said 20 to 25 
you know, so I reckon it's going to be I, double the value of what you'd get a well-worn one for. Blake, what do you reckon? I, I'm thinking, man, that seems like a bit of a stretch to go to 25, but I could see it. I, I would guess they would, if you had to ask me, they would be probably somewhere more in the, like, the 17 is where I would probably price them. But I don't have any, I don't know. I'm just guessing. That was just my assumption. When I seen them, I was like, these are going to be in the high teens. That was my, that was my guess. What, what, um, Blake, what, what is the most amount of money that you would spend on a guitar, your dream guitar? Oh, see, I was just thinking about this the other day, and I, I've i been fortunate enough to get to play a lot of really nice instruments and get, in, get to talk to a lot of really cool builders who make nice instruments, but I would have a really... Now, keep in mind, this would be something I saved up for for you know years like of this course, would be of course uh but, I, but you'd still have to be happy with handing this sum over sort of thing exactly so i think i think like if i found the perfect perfect whatever i was looking for uh-huh. i think four grand is probably the most i would spend because i've played some world-class instruments that were less than that so right. it would it would have to you know it would have to be that's that's about the most I'd be comfortable, and I wouldn't be comfortable with it. Mm. <laughs> that's just the most yeah, I, I could ever fathom spending. As well, I think, oh, and that's I that's in very is. specific circumstances. So th- I I just I have a hard time imagining that a eight thousand dollar guitar is going to play four thousand dollars better than a four thousand dollar guitar. Yeah. I think you yeah, get d- I, diminishing yeah, I, returns when you get much beyond. I, I that. think you're completely right. I think I think the four grand mark for me, I completely agree. I think upwards of four thousand pounds, I think difference it starts to become incredibly negligible sort of thing. Yeah. I think you're you're paying for the builder you're paying for the time, you're paying for the woods really at that point. I think, you know, four thousand to me I think you're right. I think you kind of hit the number on the head. That to me feels like a guitar that you could feel all the value in like some of the best woods and pickups and and craftsmanship and anything over that. It really has to like excel in all of those areas because it's still going to sound great. It's going to play great. But yeah, you kind of want, you know, the best of the best when it comes to woods or, you know, who built it. And I guess that's why the master built, you know, a master built Strat, is it going to sound better? I don't know. I've played Masterbuilds and they do feel amazing, but they're still using the same materials. It's just one person has paid attention to it for its whole yeah, journey. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've got an issue with the fenders above that, above that sort of price point just because of the nature of the build, just because they are sort of very simple bolt-on instruments. Um, I, I kind of feel with well, Fender, I, think the thing is you I can could balance... never ever go past, or or any any bolt on. I don't think I could ever happily go past the two and a half grand mark. To Not that, on a new one. To that uh, point, you know, I I mm. something I never thought of before, and you would think I'm 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 kind of shocked that I never thought of this or had this kind of explained to me. But I did a podcast with uh, Andy from Whale Hazard Guitars, who makes some really nice, super nice high end guitars here in the states, and he mentioned. The, some of the problems with building a set neck guitar that I never even thought of, and that is when you go to finish it, how much more work it is just to finish it versus a bolt-on. I don't know why that never occurred to me, but once you've got a set neck guitar, it's, you know, regardless of if you prefer bolt or set, set neck, that's not really the point. The point is once you have a set neck guitar, it's a burden to, like, transport, to Absolutely. finish it, to everything that you do with it just becomes harder. 
Uh, whereas Fender style guitars, you can unbolt them and and manage the parts on their own, and it's just a lot easier to deal with. I I just exactly. never thought of that before. No, yeah, I completely agree, and I I kind of think that expertise, that sort of extra care that should contribute to the price more i mean that's kind of why i spent you know four thousand pounds on my gibson es 175 and i would never ever dream of spending that amount on a fender or, or anything that was bought on because i know how much you know, how much very specific incredible work went to not not just you know building that guitar finishing that guitar but kind of transporting that guitar yes. as well and keeping it in one in one piece to get to get to me and uh yeah, that, I, I I think that's a that that for me, but that's why I would I, I always think of set neck guitars as being the absolute premium. They've always seemed like a more premium instrument to to anything Fender. And I think that you know that said, I think I would I would be interested in spending more money on a vintage Fender because I think they age so blooming well. And I think there are some, especially from the sixties, I've played some some Fenders, some you know sixties Fenders from sort of Strats to the the 69p bass that i own that i'm like well this is literally the best sounding thing i have ever you know played so mm-hmm. it's you know there's 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 definitely some some value in that um we should uh, yeah we should try and get through one more pe- <laughs> one more or two more pieces of news we, we we're definitely going off on tangents a lot um, shocking um yes blake why don't we why don't we go with a, a piece of news that you're gonna host for us uh and sticking with fender um brit daniel um uh, uh, brit daniel has got his own uh, signature thin line telecaster yes uh i was okay so first of all uh for those who don't know that would be the artist from spoon or one of the artists in spoon uh, which I didn't know because I'm not the biggest Spoon fan. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, but not not knocking or anything. I just don't listen to him that much to know whether I I am a big fan or not. But that guitar looks beautiful. Absolutely. What what an absolutely cracking guitar and a really interesting guitar for Fender to introduce in their artist range. Yeah. Um, uh, you want me to read the specs off here? Yeah. Yeah. T- t- tell us about it. Okay. We got a thin line ash body with amarillo gold lacquer finish. Uh, a deep C-shaped neck, 9.5 radius, 22 medium jumbo frets, uh, custom shop hand-wound vintage style single coil bridge pickup, custom shop hand-wound Texas special single coil tele neck pickup, uh, S1 switch for series slash parallel, and classic gear tuning machines. Um, it's also uh, it's also semi-hollow, so because yeah. it's a thin line, as everyone so, probably figured out when we said thin line. Yeah. Awesome, awesome Telecaster in thin line in a really unique gold finish because this is uh, what, what was the name? Of it? It's, it's Amarillo, Amarillo gold, gold, which is mm. kind of like butterscotch, right? It looks like butterscotch to me. It looks like butterscotch, but somehow kind of better. It's it's a fantastic color with the, coupled with the black plate with black binding. Oh, that's what did and, it for me. Yeah, mm. the black binding is absolutely killer. I can't help but think I would prefer it if it had a rosewood neck, but um, nonetheless, it looks Same. it looks it's, absolutely. Um, it's it's really similar to the old deluxe thin lines. It's just got a much thicker neck on it. That's what it, which right. is what it reminds me of. My jam. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a cool guitar. I think they're. I, I mean, again, I only really know Spoon because of um, Josh from JHS. I know he loves that band, and he's mentioned him a few times. And I've given him a bit of a listen. Same as you, Blake. Not listened enough to go. I absolutely love this band, and obviously they've got a pretty big fan base to have this kind of, you know, to have a Fender guitar. I mean, it's the absolute. 
the absolute dream. But yeah, it's it's interesting that they've taken an existing, well, a guitar that no longer exists because I don't think deluxe deluxe tellies in that form exist anymore, and just make a few changes um, to suit his needs. It's a very cool, and in fact, it's gold as well. It's very very cool. Yeah, I mean, butterscotchery gold. I can't see, I can't see a price actually that on on the that's, sort of the press release just yet. That's but, what I was um, looking for too. But I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be too crazy. It's not it uh, like it's a vintage, you know, stashed in a safe guitar. So <laughs> it'll probably <laughs> yeah, be fine. Exactly. Um, but uh, again, like a really interesting thing for Fender to go after. They're really changing up. Do you like Blake? Do you remember? Um, yeah, I guess we've spoken about it on the podcast before. But like. Um, Probably go go back a decade and find a, a Fender artist model that wasn't a Californian punk band from sort of the previous decade. That that just seemed to be all Fender were doing in as far as artist models were concerned, you know, 10 years ago. And now they just seem to be kind of uh, just branching out and being a little bit more interesting. Yeah, you know, I think what it is is, at least in in my view of it, is I think that people are starting to adopt some of the more obscure Fender models from the 70s. Uh, personally, one of my very favorite guitars I own is a 74 Tele Custom. Um, I just love that thing to, to death. Uh, and I think a lot of, a, you know, there was a lot of stuff for a long time about 70s Fenders being junk. And in my experience, you guys can probably comment on this a little better than I can, but I've played more good ones than I have really bad ones. Uh, and I've definitely played some bad ones, but I feel like their their reputation for being garbage all throughout the '70s is a little bit uh, is a little bit misleading, uh, because some of the coolest guitars ever were actually made during that time frame, and we've just have just now are just getting over the decades of old people saying that '70s Fenders are terrible, and yeah. uh, well, and I think a lot of younger artists are embracing it, and then like of course Spoon haven't done anything normal. You know, they're 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 always kind of struck their own path out, you know, and uh, I I just think some of the '70s fenders are becoming hot right now, and that's why we're seeing so much of that. Here, here's an interesting one for you. Maybe the ones that you're playing are good because the ones that are rubbish, no one can sell. So the ones that you actually manage to buy are the ones that people are like, oh, actually, this is a good one, so I might might stand a chance of selling it. Um, you owned a I rubbish had- one, Matt. I know, that's why. I've always going to have a bee in my bonnet about that because I owned a really rubbish 72. Uh, oh, did it, well, it wasn't rubbish. It just was nowhere near as good as the Esquire that I, I let go to buy it. And uh, I will forever, forever regret that um, that decision, basically. I understand. <laughs> it makes sense. But but yeah, I completely agree with Blake. I actually think the seventies um, the seventies have some completely fantastic stuff. And it's not just 70s stuff. The reissues of things that have happened in the 70s, I think, are fantastic as well. If you look at, like, Fender Japan, one of my favourite Fender Japan models is their 72 Telecaster reissue uh, that they did throughout the late 80s and the early 90s. It is absolutely killer. It is one of the best-sounding Telecasters you will ever hear. My friend Pete Lambrey from the band Alma um, has played one exclusively throughout his entire career, an old sort of... It looks brown. I, I don't know what... Th- I've never seen anything like it. But, um, it, but yeah, the, the 72, the Japanese 72 Telecaster, I love the big 
bold Telecaster font on the headstock, the oversized thing. It always looks super cool, but I, I don't know what it is about those Japanese 72s. But listener, if you ever get a chance to try one of those, made between sort of 84 and like 92, something like that, um, they were completely killer. Blake, have you ever tried, ever got to try a Japanese 72 telly? Not that guitar specifically, um, but I do know that one of the coolest guitars I've ever played was a Japanese uh, uh, Jaguar. I don't remember what year it was, but it was from uh, that era somewhere in there. Was it the double humbucker one? No, no, it was a regular, it was just a, am I, or was it a crafted in Japan? I don't really know that that makes, or no, wait, I'm getting that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ma- Major I, I, Japan is, is, is pre-94, 95. Listener, you might have to correct me there. Um, and, and then crafted is post. Yeah, so I, this was a this was a crafted, and it was for all intents and purposes, as far as I am aware, this was about six years ago. It was a uh, it was a just a regular Jaguar reissue. I don't think there was anything like different about it, as far as I'm aware. But it was just a great playing, great sounding guitar. It really made me uh, start kind of jonesing over a lot of the Fender Japan stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The Fender Japan stuff, I think, just consistently um, has always proved to be fantastic. I, I have so much time for it. In fact, like I have so many friends that it, it sort of before I sort of infected them with with just being a, a guitar geek. Certainly, when we were growing up, they were all like, wouldn't touch anything other than Fender Japan. They were very much like Fender Japan. That's the that's the uh, that's the the type of guitars that they would go for. And in fact, my guitarist Tim. Pete, who we grew up with, both of them only bought Japanese uh, Telecasters quite specifically uh, until, you know, I sort of talked them into <laughs> weird boutique brands and sort of parting <laughs> with thousands of pounds for that sort of thing. Um, anyway, we are actually, we are actually pretty much uh, at, uh, up at time. That's kind of... That's kind of it for us here on the regular episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast. We're going to be continuing over on the uh, on the Patreon episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast, where for as little as $1 a month, you can support the podcast. $1 a month gets you the regular episode ad-free and early. $5 a month gets you uh, access to the Patreon special episode every week, plus you get early listening to our new Friday special series and ten dollars a month makes you an executive producer and it gets your name sung in a song which i'm actually moving it around so the song is going to happen at the end of the podcast now you get to finish the uh the podcast with the incredible song i'm actually very very happy with uh with what i've uh, <laughs> what i've put out this week it's absolutely me firing on all cylinders but uh you can follow guitarners on instagram at twitter at guitarners you can join us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitarners forum and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash guitar nerds. Blake, why don't you tell everyone where they can check you out in your various forms? So if you like me saying nonsense in your ears, which uh, you probably didn't, but if you did, you can check out everything at uh, tonemob.com. You can go subscribe to the Tone Mob podcast, and it's a little different than this. It's me blabbering to a different guest every week so it's an interview style format and it's usually a lot of uh just a lot of fun so if you want to find that and then uh instagram's the social that i like and participate in the most so i'm at the tone mob on instagram Excellent. Yes, and uh, we well, over on the Patreon, we're going to be continuing some news because we've barely got to the tip of the iceberg of this week's news, so we're going to try and hammer through as much as that 
as possible. And also, there's a, a wonderful treat if you are a Patreon listener. Uh, we're going to have a quiz for Blake, which you can also um, participate in, uh, dear listener. The quiz is going to be which guitar nerd host is Blake the most like so you can play along with Blake and find out which guitar nerd host you are the most like as well um, but uh, we'll see you next week for more of this guitar nerdery right. farewell bye, bye. Here we go get ready I want to see you moving Gary Patillo Mark Hizau Kaderwacki Rob Buster Stephen Buck Robert Butterworth Neil Milton Marin Peters Stuart Robson Jeffrey Rax John Pearson, Zach Melton, Keith Adams, Steve Ferguson, Eric File, Andy Joyce, John Anglin, Adam Wise, Chris, Jake Cut, Rod Gruel, Scott Hamilton, Tucker, Amadon, Annie Cooper, Ross Edwards, Nate Nagel, Stephen Hench, Rob Grant, Matt Roberts, Dave Lee, Emily Jens Baker, One Corey, Aaron Sherman, Blake Wyland, Andrew Good, Jamie Kemp, Jake Gray, Matt Bellamy, Martin Cliff, Scott Kennedy, Christopher Lowset, Hans Hans, Robin Smith, Derek Rich, Chris Connors, Robin Norvig, Duncan Watson, Ed Bentley, Steve Merkel, Carlos Manger, Annie McKenzie, Brad Page, Blair Tom, Scott O'Brien, Laurie Ansis, Paul Corrigan, Will Clare, Moo Gravit, Phil Thompson, Adrian Day, Ken Sayers, Matthew King, Scott Kane, Sean Harbo, and... Christopher Wolfman Caputson! Oh! Oh!